everyone, and welcome to this ADEA podcast. My name is Rachel Freeman, and I'll be your host today. I am the Professional Services and Education Manager at the Australian Diabetes Educators Association, and I'm also the mum of a 10-year-old with type 1 diabetes. As we know, this week is National Diabetes Week, and the theme for this year focuses on stigma around diabetes. To discuss this topic and delve into diabetes stigma, we're chatting today to Peter Lomas, founder of Not Just a Patch, and Ashley Ng, dietetics lecturer, researcher, and new mum. Both Peter and Ashley are living with type 1 diabetes. Hi, Peter and Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you both? I'm really well, thanks, Rachel. It's um, very nice to be here, and I'm looking forward to chatting. Thanks, Rachel. I'm doing pretty well too, um, despite the lack of sleep. So really excited to be chatting about this topic that's close to my heart today as well. Thank you both. That's great. And we are so excited to be talking to you today. So let's jump straight into this important topic. As mentioned, National Diabetes Week for 2021 is aiming to raise awareness and address the issues of stigma around diabetes. The language and ways that we communicate to others plays a big role in how our messages are received, perceived and actioned. This can play a big part on how people feel and potentially manage their diabetes. So Ashley, starting with you today, can you share an example of diabetes stigma that you may have experienced and how this made you feel? Oh, Rachel, there's been so many experiences. I'm trying to think of like one that jars out in my memory and I think I can think of two. So one is actually from a healthcare professional who um, chased me, kind of followed me out of the, the clinic appointment room um, commenting about how young I was to have diabetes because my diabetes diagnosis wasn't straightforward. I was diagnosed with type 2 initially. And so when I went to see this GP um, for some follow-up referrals and additional information, he just didn't take it very well. And he said, you know, you're very young to have diabetes. And he basically followed me out of the room um, saying that quite loudly in front of other people who are waiting in the waiting area and I was mortified. I was like, why are you still talking to me? I've left the room now. The appointment's finished. Stop talking to me. Um, and it just made me feel really embarrassed that I had, you know, diabetes because everyone thought that, you know, it's because I'm, you know, I've brought it onto myself. And the other experience was when I was just starting using injections, still as, as um, you know, with type 2 diabetes. And um, a guy next to me at Nando's, I remember, he was um, also injecting before his meal. And I was so excited because I'd never seen someone else with type 1 before. And I was about to go up and chat with him. But then I overheard him saying that he had no empathy for anyone with, with type 2 diabetes because they brought it onto themselves and they deserved it. And, you know, it just made me feel so horrible because I knew I wasn't, my diabetes wasn't caused by me. And there's so many different underlying factors for that. But I couldn't help feeling so ashamed and so embarrassed and so hurt that, you know, someone living with diabetes could actually say something like that. Long story short, these were a couple of my experiences. Wow, Ash, those experiences are, are pretty massive. And we, as diabetes educators, we do hear those sorts of stories quite regularly, actually. Um, so, Pete, have you had any stories like that or um, can make any comments around Ash's examples? 
I was diagnosed when I was 30, three zero years old. Um, so quite quite late onset, I suppose, which, you know, I suppose it probably has, you know, meant that I've avoided or I haven't been exposed to having too many problems personally with stigma other than like maybe like just feeling uncomfortable around friends or family when I'm having a hypo. But that's more like my own judgment of myself and like feeling bad that they have to kind of see me kind of go through this experience. Um, but it's interesting, I think, with regards to Ash's comment, um, particularly around the type 2 stuff, because I have to say, until recently, I was probably a little bit – I was uninformed um, and I was probably a little bit judgmental as well. I probably looked down on type 2 diabetics in some ways because I used to think, well, yeah, it's, um, it's a lifestyle, you know, diet-related thing. And I was actually corrected by my um, – diabetes nurse specialist recently she just kind of went she just reminded me that actually you know the same way that i think a type one thinks about their diabetes and, and a big part of it is genetic and a big part of it is uncontrollable and that kind of you know was what used to give me a sense of well well i'm better um she corrected me that actually that it's very similar to type two and then that that group is growing that group where you know, it's not as straightforward and simple as it being a diet or lifestyle related issue that actually there's a lot of type 2 diabetics that eat and drink the, and, you know, and have lifestyles the same as everybody, but end up with type 2 diabetes. And it was a really good uh, moment for me to check myself, I suppose, and my attitudes towards, um, to, towards type 2 diabetes. So, I can kind of relate to that story that Ash told and, and I, you know, I probably wasn't as aggressive or, you know, outspoken about it, but certainly, you know, I think it's um, really good for us to be aware of these things and, um, you know, be aware of the fact that we can all probably be educated on all sorts of different conditions, diabetes and, and not. Um, and I think type 2, it's, you know, I was really happy to be corrected on that particular misunderstanding that I had. Yeah, thank you. And I can agree with that too. Um, in some work I've done with gestational diabetes, even, you know, women who are thin when they, when they fall pregnant, um, you know, don't fit that typical mold of what some health professionals would think are risk factors for gestational diabetes and really trying mm -hmm. to dispel those myths and educate people that, um, you know, gestational diabetes is also not just about lifestyle, it, there's a whole lot of other factors that will affect people and, and when they're diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So, I think um, we can move on to the next question and um, I was going to ask you both about diabetes distress. So, research is showing that experiencing stigma can lead to or actually amplify diabetes distress. Have either of you experienced this or have talked to other people with diabetes where this seems to have been the result? i probably been lucky and uh, I think being more or being closer to the diabetes community now that I'm involved with not just a patch and I'm, you know, somewhat immersed in the community and engaging, you know, in all sorts of different ways, uh, I'm certainly hearing about the experiences that people have um, you know, with regards to stress and just, um, you know, the mental side of uh, how diabetes might affect you over the long term uh, and managing it. I have moments where occasionally I'll think to myself, oh, it'd be nice not to have this or, you know, it'd be nice not to have to think about injections or, or nice not to have to um, worry about what my blood sugar is. But it hasn't really, you know, I've been lucky in that 
you know, I've had a perspective where I've just kind of got on with it. But in saying that, you know, I think back to the point that I made earlier about partners and friends, um, you know, I, I feel bad sometimes particularly with my my wife, you know, I, I might, you know, it might be a few days in a row where I have hypos or it might be a few days in a row where I'm high. And, you know, I will kind of just feel a little bit bad because I think if I'm, if I put myself outside of the mindset of a diabetic, seeing someone go high and low consistently and not understanding that it really is just the, the life that we have, you know, it can be easy to not understand that. So, you know, I certainly have those moments where I'm like, I think I was with a friend last week and um, I was having a hypo and I don't think I, I don't think I'd been with him before. And like, I, I sort of had to explain, I had to say, well, hey, I'm having a hypo and um, I, I might get a bit weird in a few minutes or, you know, I just need to take some time out. And it's uncomfortable, you know, like I have no idea what's going on in their mind about what's happening to me. And it's not fun to have to kind of, you know, have them involved or even have to worry them um, about what's happening for me. Um, so that's probably like the closest I've been, I suppose, to, you know, that, that kind of distress. And I think, you know, following up from Pete, and firstly, I have to say thank you, Pete, for being so open and honest about um, your experiences of, you know, people with type 2 diabetes because it's not often that I hear people going back and go, oh, actually, I was wrong and, you know, I've learned a lot from it and I'm, you know, bettering myself from it. And I think that's really nice to hear from the community that people can learn and can – there's still so much to learn out there and even myself, like, there's a lot to learn um, when it comes to talking to different community members with diabetes and different perspectives as well. So I think it's really refreshing to hear that. And in terms of diabetes distress, um, for me, it was really during that diagnosis period. And I have, I guess, a pretty long diagnosis period where I got re-diagnosed a few years down the track as well, where I really went through that almost stages of grief. You kind of grieve that old life that you had and you go through that anger of, you know, why is this happening to me and not to all my other friends who are, when I was 19, you know, going out, partying, drinking, whereas I'm just freaking out all the time about what alcohol is going to do to my blood sugars. I had no idea how to manage things. I was super conscious about my weight because I was told if I lost weight, I could potentially cure my diabetes. So a lot of misinformation and a lot of that coming back to um, me not knowing a lot or not knowing enough about it. And I think once I come, it came out from that, now that I've settled into my diabetes management, um, the distress really comes around that burnout phase. So when you're so intensely looking after your diabetes and you've got so many other things happening that some days you just look at your your diabetes stuff and you're like, I actually just can't. And it's looking at my phone right now. I've just got a high glucose alert. And I was like, oh, of course I've got a high. Like, you know, it's it's relentless. And the thing with diabetes is that this chronic condition that you live with for the rest of your life, you don't get a break from it. You know, you don't get to say, hey, I'm going to switch this off and ignore it because once you ignore it, if you get high or low, it impacts you physically, then it impacts you mentally. So it's you're always having to think about it, and that can be really exhausting. I think that's something a lot of people don't um, recognize with diabetes if they don't um, know enough about it or they don't live with it themselves. Yeah, thank you. I completely agree. And I think um, even as parents of children with 
type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes even, the parents also feel that constant, you know, always thinking about it, hoping that it's okay or in my case, uh, I would say hassling my daughter <laughs> about looking after her herself and when I'm not there at school, um, it, it's a constant worry of mine as well. So I've definitely experienced that with my 10-year-old. I can see some days when she hops in the car after school, you can tell something's bothering her um, and most often it's due to something that's happened during the day um, in regards to her diabetes. She'll often say that she just wants to be like everyone else and that she avoids checking her glucose levels at school or taking her insulin um, at break times because she just doesn't want to feel different and she just wants to be able to run off with her friends um, and she feels like she's being left out if she can't just go off with them at break times and start playing all at the same time. So we know that kids can be really cruel sometimes and we'll tease each other about all sorts of things. And I feel like this just gives something else that she might be being teased about or that she feels like she's being teased about, even if it might not be, but she just feels different. So it's difficult to get kids to understand the importance of diabetes management when so much else is going on. And they, I don't think sometimes they have that emotional capacity and maturity to understand that this is something that will affect them long term, you know, and how do they stand up for themselves when they already feel different to everyone else. So I know that Ash and Pete, you've mentioned that you were diagnosed a little bit later on in life. Um, so as a late teen Ash and then in adulthood, Peter, but do you have any tips from your diagnosis about I guess discussing it with others and, and how to make see if they can understand um, what it means to have diabetes and how relentless it can be. And if you were looking back now from when you were diagnosed, what would you tell your sort of newly diagnosed self, I suppose, that, that everything? Yeah, I think it's, it's so different being diagnosed as a kid as opposed to being a little bit older when you kind of know how to, I guess, take it, take it on a little bit better in a sense, but also where you know, I'm looking after myself primarily rather than having, you know, my mum or dad look after me still. So I think for me, it was, I would go when I, if I were to go back and ask myself, you know, give some advice, I'd say just to be kind to myself and that I can't change. I can't do a flip 180 of how I live my life and how I think about everything in a day or in a week and to give myself time to adjust to everything. Um, and certainly that was the case when I had to break the news to my, to my family. And I was really, I guess, didn't know how to feel when I was able to tell my mom because I knew she would feel guilty because she would think that it was something she'd done that, um, made that, you know, brought on the diabetes. So I know we kind of always grieve together in that sense. Um, so really just being nice to yourself. I know in that, when you're in that moment, it's difficult, but that would be the biggest thing I would tell myself again. Yeah, I think flowing on from that, as I said earlier, I was 30 years old when I was diagnosed and I can imagine if I was a child or an adolescent being diagnosed because you're already trying to figure out a lot of stuff, right? You've already got a lot of things to try and understand as you're growing up and adding in something as significant as diabetes into that mix would be really challenging. I think that if, um, if I think about children and adolescents um, and like what 
can help. I would say engaging in a community, you know, finding other people. And I know that, you know, they have things like camps um, and various other types of, you know, opportunities for these things to happen, which are great. I think the more kids and adolescents that can be around other other peers um, to normalize, you know, so that when they're going back into their schools or they're going back into situations where they've got peers that don't have diabetes, they can just have that little bit of extra confidence um, that they're not alone and that they're not abnormal. I think I think that's probably the thing that, you know, had I been diagnosed as a kid that I would have liked um, to have had the opportunity uh, to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, I love Ash's initial story about, you know, seeing somebody else injecting their insulin and having diabetes. And I think that's a really a powerful situation to be in um, as soon as we spot somebody else with type one and, and they've got their pump out or their, their finger pricker, then we'll, um, you know, say, see, it's, a, it's, you know, there are other people that do have diabetes and you're not, you're not alone. So, um, we often talk about language and language is a very powerful tool and the words we choose when talking about and to people with diabetes can make a real difference. We often refer to the Diabetes Australia position statement regarding language for people with diabetes. Can either of you share your experiences where you have found that language has made a big difference to your diabetes management or someone that you know? I only recently heard about, um, probably in the last maybe a year ago or so, where I heard about the terminology, um, a person with type 1 diabetes. And this really made me adjust. And, and because, you know, with Not Just a Patch, we're regularly publishing text you know we've got social media channels and, and a website and so it really like being informed about the terminology where 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 i think i used to say um uh I, i'm a i'm a t1d or um or just i would refer to you know type 1 diabetics and i remember sort of being informed and it you know it took me a few days and maybe even a few weeks to you know whenever i'd be writing something or something was going to be published that I was. I would always reflect on it and go, okay, what's the right words to use in this context? So we try really hard now to make sure we're using person with type one diabetes. And sometimes for me, it can seem a bit pedantic. I'm like, well, really, is it is it that necessary? But actually, I think the the longer that I think about it, and the more often it comes up, the more I realize that it actually is important because, you know, it may just be that one time where we're publishing something or I'm using, you know, the incorrect terminology, but actually it's out there in the ether and you know, people are going to read it. So I think, you know, there is an onus on on me and, and on people in the community to develop awareness around terminology, you know, as much as there is around developing awareness for, you know, as we were talking about earlier, people with type 1, type 2 diabetes and, and the stigmas attached to that and how we, you know, talk about that. And, you know, I find myself now correcting people who judge type 2 diabetics, you know, reminding them, you know, from this education I got from my diabetes nurse about, you know, understanding, you know, type 2 diabetes. So, yeah, certainly I think terminology is important. And I, and I think we're probably fairly early days in actually, you know, correcting it. And I think it's, a, but I think it's a, a very important movement for us to, to all be supporting. Yeah. And I, I echo Pete's thoughts as well. Like it's interesting because when I was first diagnosed 
we would just say, you know, I'm a diabetic and, and things like that. And it wasn't until a few years later that we, that I kind of learned more about, you know, the impact of language. And now it's something I'm quite passionate about. But at the same time, I've also relaxed my, I guess, rigidity around that as well. I used to be very pedantic about, you know, hey, you can't use the term diabetic. You have to use the term person with diabetes and things like that. But the more I come to think of it, the, it what's also really important is the context. So if someone says, hey, you know, that diabetic over there is like, you know, shooting themselves up, that is not okay to use. That is not okay thing to say. But if they're saying like, you know, if someone who doesn't know any better say, oh, you know, I heard you're a diabetic, can you tell me more about this or, you know, asking questions, that's when, you know, you kind of have to give them a bit of slack and you kind of talk to them about it. But not necessarily, um, it's, it's really coming from the individual saying, I would prefer to be called, you know, a person living with diabetes rather than a diabetic. Do you mind, you know, not using that term because I'm more than just my condition. I'm more than just diabetes. I'm actually a person as well. And it's interesting to know that this language preference actually changes depending on which sort of community you look at. So, say, in the disability sector, for, say, instance, you know, people with autism would actually prefer the term autistic, for example. Um, so, I always find it quite interesting and it's also really important when we talk about diabetes and the language that we use to be inclusive. So for me, I tend to think of the psychosocial aspects about living with diabetes because that's where my research is and that's where my, you know, where I've, a lot of my peer support work comes into play as well is that, you know, psychosocially people living with diabetes deal with a lot of the same issues in terms of that stigma and the, you know, the misinformation, miseducation from the public and things like that. Once we start going, dividing it, you know, solely based on your type of diabetes, then we start getting this, you know, us versus them mentality, which is not helpful, particularly when people are saying we need to change the name of diabetes because, you know, we didn't cause our diabetes or, you know, they're completely different. Um, yes, we're different to a different um, to you know, perspective, but at the same time, a lot of the things that we face can be quite similar. So I think as a community, banding together where we can is really important. Yeah, thank you. And I, I agree. I think, um, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people with diabetes and they really don't mind the term diabetic and they call themselves a diabetic and they don't, they don't mind at all. But um, uh, I think it, it's just individual. So we need to respect the the words that people don't like and words that they do like and, and just go along with what that person um, is happy and comfortable with. So I've often asked people to not refer to my daughter as diabetic um, but rather that she has diabetes. And sometimes this has even been scoffed at, um, you know, by family members and, um, you know, not really understanding, I suppose, and what effect that can have. So I've had to work hard at trying to explain to people that that sort of language is labelling and that language can make a difference to how she feels now and, and also in the future. And I think, Pete, like you said, you know, there's so much other things going on for kids that, um, you know, being that re reminder that she has diabetes and, and being called a diabetic constantly is, is just that constant reminder that there's something else that she's dealing with. So I explain, I explain to people that she's lots of other things, like she's a student or a dancer or a daughter or a netballer and she's a sister, but not just one of these things can describe who she is completely. So that's why 
um, you know, that labelling type of language. I try and I, I do try and avoid. She was my daughter was also born without a thyroid and has taken daily medication for that since she was born. And if she didn't take that medication, her growth and development also be affected just as if she didn't take her diabetes medication so I try and explain that to people as well but we're not labeling her with a thyroid condition or and she's not defined by that so um, you know why should diabetes be a big part of who she is as a, as a person I think we need to continue the messages and get as many people on board in helping to explain these language aspects and Pete and Ash it sounds like you know you've sort of taken that on board in different ways as well in um, talking to people about diabetes. So thank you for sharing those. Um, is there any particular words that you both don't like and, and have you had experience or what have you found works when you're trying to explain that you don't like a particular word or a phrase? Yeah, I think for me um, when I'm like explaining the, the terminology and stuff, I, I bring the example of you know people living with dementia. I say you don't see people calling them demented. You just say that they are living with dementia so it's kind of, you know, that connotation of, you know, being diabetic has a lot of that stigma connotation to it. Um, and that's because, you know, we've put that connotation on there over the years. And we are also seeing this massive wave of changing in language and being more respectful about it in the LGBTQIA community. So, you know, why should we, you know, discount this for medical conditions as well so that's sort of how I kind of talk to people about it and because I also work in nutrition you know I find that really really important in terms of how we talk about food and it's always these these one-liners or like these off-handed comments that really impact us the most because it's those they're, they're the ones that don't really have thought given to them when they come out of someone's mouth and but those are the thoughts those are the you know phrases that stick with person after you leave with them after you leave from them they go they mull over those words a lot and you never know how impactful those words can be so i think having a little bit more thought around what we say how we say and the words that we choose to describe things um is really important in that in that aspect as well yeah i, I absolutely agree with you, Ash. I do think that, you know, we can all be a little bit more cautious and certainly that there's a, you know, there is a need for correctness, you know, if you want to call it political correctness, there's a, you know, there's a need across all different walks of life for us to, to be more considerate. I, I will flip it a little bit though, because one of the frustrations that I have had, um, particularly since I've been more engaged in the community and I do spend more time, you know, listening and kind of reading, uh, you know, from different voices from within the community, like Facebook community groups are an example. One thing that I get a little bit frustrated about and that, you know, we are, and one of the sort of, I guess, values and not just a patch is, is about kind of having perspective. And what I mean by that is that I think there is a little bit of, uh, well, there are some areas or some people with um, type 1 diabetes who have a little bit of a victim mentality. And I think there's an opportunity um, for us, you know, people with type 1 diabetes to sometimes, you know, when we're feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves to um, develop a bit of perspective and realize that there are many people probably worse off than us and that, you know, um, we're pretty lucky, you know, there's a the way that 
the care is at the moment is is amazing with the technology that we have and the and the evidence and the science that we have. So that's probably the I think you know I think we're right to a point that we need to police this and we need to be cautious. But I think there's also an opportunity for us to maybe develop some resilience and some pers- perspective and maybe not take things to heart and and maybe not you know maybe instead of complaining about the problems that we have to be um, also thinking about how lucky we are. That's such a great comment, Pete. I really love that perspective in terms of when we're talking about diabetes management now for kids in particular um, and my daughter, I'll often talk to her about not needing to prick her finger six times a day and and not needing to give her an insulin via an injection. So, there is that perspective about all this technology that we now have and, and how much easier it is to manage her diabetes not taking away that she still has diabetes and trying to make sure that she um she knows that you know we all still think it's important and that she's going through things that other kids don't have to go through but that perspective comment is um is a really great one now ash i know we've you've touched on this as well in terms of um your gp when you were diagnosed but we've experienced some health professionals getting it's slightly wrong too in terms of language and and I guess the stigma that they do unintentionally, I'm sure, um, but nevertheless put around some aspects of diabetes management. And for a person with diabetes, it can be really difficult to speak up if they feel uncomfortable about correcting a health professional or somebody that they've gone to get some advice from. So, do either of you have any suggestions on how people with diabetes could approach stigma if it's coming from their health professional? Yeah, I think, you know, as we've alluded to in the chat so far, it is important for us people with diabetes to show consideration for others um, who are unaware. And I think that um, whilst we can feel slighted maybe by someone who hasn't used the right terminology um, and we want people to be cautious in the way that, that they I don't know, think about us um, or refer to us. I think that in these situations when we've experienced stigma or, you know, someone's gotten it wrong, I think it's, you know, there's an opportunity for us to kind of practice what we preach in a sense in that, you know, we can sort of go, well, we can be angry or resentful or critical of that person who has, you know, got it wrong or we can actually sort of show them by being by being gentle with them you know, and by how we ask them to um, correct or we educate them, you know, we can probably sort of lead in the in, in a way that we help them to understand rather than, you know, jumping down their throat or um, getting upset with them. So, I think that's probably the it's, it's a chance for us to, um, to, to lead in the way that we um, the way that we respond. I absolutely agree with you, Pete. And that's, yeah, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, that's so important that we also treat other people with kindness and, you know, we educate people the way we want to be educated as well. I think that's so important. And for me, I'm very, very non confrontational. So if someone says something that I'm very offended or get really upset by, I tend to mull over it for quite some time before I actually do something about it, which can be good and bad in a way that, you know, I, I, over something for so long that my husband's like, can you just like do something about this so that you you can get it off your chest? So I think it's it's a really good moment of reflection. So I remember one time um, with my dentist, 
she kept saying that, you know, that thing when your arm, referring to my CGM, she's like, you know, if you were better controlled, you wouldn't need that kind of stuff. And I was so taken aback because she was there to look at my teeth and nothing to do with my diabetes at all. I felt really, really angry about it. And it was actually, you know, a little bit after I, I came back and went to the receptionist who was the, um, the, the manager, the practice manager. And I said, you know, I was actually really upset by the way that dentist spoke to me. And I find that really disrespectful and really upsetting because, and I listed the reasons why, you know, why that was not helpful, but also how it affected me. And I think sometimes healthcare professionals forget that, you know, their clients and their patients are also just people just like them. And we forget that too. So rather than jumping down people's throat and saying, you know, how dare you do this to me? We kind of need a bit of that sympathy and empathy as well. So having a bit of that reflective moment is, is really important. And yeah, just being reflective, being kind is, is also really important as well. So just having that sense of this is, you know, remembering why you do the work that you do and remembering that everyone is still a person. You don't know what else is going on behind the scenes, kind of giving them a bit of slack, but at the same time, educating them nicely is, I think, one of my biggest tips. Great. Thank you. And I guess my tip around that would be to talk to the situation with perhaps another health professional that you have a really good rapport with or that you trust. So, um, even though I'm a diabetes educator myself, we still have a, a another diabetes educator that we talk to um, for my daughter's diabetes and just talking to them about what happened, um, how it made us feel, um, and then what she could do to help support um, us in going back to that health professional or talking through sort of what had happened um, was really helpful. So I guess reaching out to people that um, you do feel supported by, uh, if you do have a credential diabetes educator that you have a really great rapport with and trust um, to help you through those sort of situations, um, then that would be a, a great thing to do as well. So thank you both very much today for joining this podcast. It's been so lovely to speak to both of you and to get your different perspectives and insights into stigma around diabetes. Um, I guess as a very final comment or any take-home messages for the listeners today, is there anything that you would like to finish off with? Um, I'd say thank you so much for having us on this podcast and just, you know, having this chat about diabetes stigma, sort of like how, like from our perspectives as well and our experiences, I hope that it will help someone out there, whether it's healthcare professional or, you know, people living with diabetes um, as a secondary benefit, that would be awesome. But yeah, I guess I, my parting thought would be just uh, think about how you would like to be treated and how you would like to be spoken to and spoken about everyone's human and yeah just spread a reflection thank you and yeah i think we've covered it um really well and i think um ash you alluded to it in your your previous comments um about you know the doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals that that are there trying to look after us and sometimes it can be easy for us to be um, critical. You know, and I know in the past I have been like I might have not been happy with an endocrinologist and how that particular appointment went. But, um, you know, I think uh, understanding where they're coming from and that 
they're part of a system and that they have got to that point, you know, partly due to kind of the system that they're in and they kind of do their best within that system. And I think that example also goes for, you know, things like healthcare companies, you know, the technology we've got is amazing. Um, I think that I see, I do see criticism out there in the ether about, you know, whether it's the the Libres or the Dexcoms or the Medtronics of the world, and I see people complaining about them, and I just think to myself, I'm like, you know, we, we're so lucky that we have this technology, and sure, you know, everyone can be doing better, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, or a, you know, a healthcare company, but, um, you know, I think pausing for a moment to consider um, how good we've got it um, is, is important. Um, and just uh, wanted to say thanks very much for um, for, for uh, having me on, Rachel. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you both so much again um, for joining us today. And thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen to this podcast. We do hope you have gained valuable insights into this topic of diabetes and stigma. To obtain CPD credit points, if you are a health professional for this podcast, um, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete the feedback and evaluation. To continue bringing awareness and increasing our knowledge in this area, ADA has also developed in conjunction with Jane Spate, who is a psychologist and researcher, and Nicole Walker, a diabetes dietitian, a webinar on stigma and diabetes, uh, particularly focusing on stigma around food for people with diabetes. This webinar will be live on Tuesday the 13th of July at 6.30pm and will also be recorded and available on the ADEA LMS. Also, don't forget to check out our social media platforms over this week for National Diabetes Week, where we have a range of resources that may be useful for diabetes educators and people with diabetes when discussing stigma. We would love you to join us in continuing this important conversation around stigma and diabetes. And until next time, thank you and goodbye.